Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning. This is fun. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> it's been a challenge getting to this place. I, there are so many people who contributed to making the rooms happen, and we are grateful to everyone. Uh, have you guys all seen the children's space? It's amazing. If you haven't, walk on over there, take a look. Um, there's still a lot of things that we're trying to get done, but we're so grateful for what has been done. Uh, the artwork, Edmund is here who did the artwork. Let's give it up to Edmund. And Brian also has had so much to do in there. Again, I can't list all the people who have helped out to make this happen uh, because there's so many people. It's exciting, right? When things change, we get excited about change. It's also nerve-wracking. At least it's been for me. It's been kind of horrendous in some ways, right? It's like, oh, we got to get this done. We got to get this done. How are we going to do it? I mean, my poor wife drove to Carson to pick up the furniture for the kids' class, and they forgot the legs to one of the tables. And so what do you do with a table without legs, right? You stand on it. I don't know. What do you do? And so she drove back to Carson just to pick up the legs. And then she had to go to Burbank to pick up my cousin who was flying in. So I haven't seen my wife for about a week now. She's been driving all around. Just a lot of things that make things hectic. But that's kind of what happens as change happens and as growth happens. It, it, It tends to be difficult right? I I hear that when you work out, (laughs) it exercises your muscles, right? And that it actually breaks them down so that it can build them back up. And I think that happens to us in so many ways. And maybe that becoming comfortable, that becoming stagnant needs to be shaken up. And maybe we can be awakened by some of the things that are happening here and in our lives when those difficulties take place. Okay, again, I'm taking a little detour from our Woven in Gospel series, although I can't wait to get back to that. But this is just kind of one of those things where so much has been going on in my mind that I I felt I needed to detour and just have a place for expression. It's been an emotional week. There's been so many things going on, and I'm not here to share all the the things going on in my life, but I want to share how the movement starts to create within me a desire for more. And so this morning, I'm going to be talking about Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. I don't know if it has anything to do with Halloween or not. Asking favors, celery and almond milk, to contrast the Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, 
and the automobile, okay? Now, if you can, (laughs) turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, starting at verses 17, and we'll read through 26. On those days, he was teaching, that's Jesus. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. I love that translation. Like, man, your sins are forgiven. Like, hey, man. Anyway, verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been laying on, and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. There are so many things that jump out in this story. Of course, there's the obvious. A man who was paralyzed is healed, which is a big deal. We have seen extraordinary things today. But there's other things that strike me. One of them is when these guys climb up and tear this person's house roof apart to lay their friend down before Jesus. That's an extraordinary thing. And then Jesus says he saw their faith. Whose faith? The friends? The man who was on the bed? Was it both? How did he see their faith? Don't you think of faith as kind of being one of those internal things like, hey, man, keep the faith. Okay, I got faith. You got faith? Yeah, I got faith. I don't know what that looks like, but you got faith. I got faith. We all got faith, right? But here he saw their faith. How? Well, it's obvious. They tore the roof off. Their faith led them to a place where we got to get to Jesus. And so they tore the roof off and laid their friend down before Jesus. And so he was able to see their faith. And then something else unusual about the story is Jesus, when this guy comes down before him, he sees their faith. He says, man, your sins are forgiven you. That's not what I was expecting for him to say. I was expecting him to say, rise, walk, right? That's what he's there for. I can imagine the friends being a little bummed, right? Oh, man. We came to bring him healed and he forgave his sins. You know, I was hoping for a little bit more. Why would he say that? Why would he start with that and not lead with that strength? Let me do something amazing and then I'll come back with, hey, your sins are forgiven you. But he starts with that. And think about this. The guy didn't ask for forgiveness. The guy didn't have this repentant attitude. How does he know 
what to say to this guy. I mean, you think about it. There, there's no asking for forgiveness. There's no contrite heart. There's no repentance made by the man. There's no bowing his head and raising his hand. There's no walking down the aisle as they sing just as I am, right? There's none of that going on. Jesus just says, hey, your sins are forgiven you. It's as if it was to be expected. It was if it was already there for him and he just didn't know about it. It was if it was a gift on the table just waiting to be picked up. It was already there. And he's making him aware of something that is his that he wasn't aware of. And he tells this person who is paralyzed this news first. Why? It's as if there's more than meets the eye. Right? It's kind of like you're looking for a piece of chocolate. You bite in and there's peanut butter inside. And it's like, yes, Right, if you like peanut butter, right? That Reese's peanut butter cup is the marriage of two wonderful worlds. <laughs> and what happens here is Jesus is getting to a deeper meaning. Remember a few weeks back in John chapter 9, we looked at the man who was born blind, and the disciples asked, Whose sin is it that this man was born this way? Was it his or his parents? And Jesus says, no, it doesn't work that way. And and the way this story goes on is it reveals that even though this man was blind, he actually was the one who was able to see. And the Pharisees who could see were actually the ones that were blind. There was a progression that took place until the man who was born blind not only physically could see, but spiritually he could see as well. And I think the same thing is happening here. There's a progression that's taking place that is pushing us to understand what is really important. We see the contrast with the Pharisees, the religious leaders, those people who were in charge of how people thought and pursued God. And immediately when Jesus says to this man, hey, your sins are forgiven you, they shout blasphemy. Who are you to forgive sins? You don't know what is required. I mean, forgive sins, there is, has to be the, the temple. You go to the temple, there has to be the sacrifices you make. You have to go to the priests who perform the right ceremonies. There are so many things that you need to do so that you can be forgiven. You can't just go willy-nilly out forgiving everybody. Who do you think you are doing this? He's challenging them and what they think. Helping the people to understand that something is available to them right now, right where they are, that it is already theirs. And all they have to do is step into it. Remember, this is taking place before the cross, before the atonement. Jesus is saying him, your sins are forgiven you. This isn't, hang on a second, I'm going to go die for you and then come back and then it's all going to be good. He's saying, your sins are forgiven you. He's helping him to see that there is an understanding in the relationship between humanity and God that is being revealed in Jesus so that they don't have to go to temple They don't have to offer sacrifice. They don't need the priests to do the rituals. That forgiveness belongs to them right now. That should make us tremble. That should provoke awe. That should make us think, what are the implications 
that I can come before God right now paralyzed with whatever is paralyzing you in your life. Maybe there's some addiction that's holding you. Maybe there's some frame of thinking that you can't get rid of. Maybe there's something going on inside of you that's just holding you. And Jesus is saying, you're forgiven. Right now, where you are, who you are, you have access to the God of the universe. He is there for you. You know, when you need to ask a favor of someone, it's nice to be able to do it when you're on good terms. Have you ever had an argument with someone? I know you have, right? And maybe it was your spouse, right? Maybe I can remember times where I've had an argument with my wife and we're, we're not on good terms, but then I need to ask her to do something for me, right? And then it's kind of like, oh, crap. You know, it's like, man, I, and you got to be a politician now, right? You got to figure out how to, you know, hey, babe, you know, it's like, I'm for you. Can you go pick up my clothes from the cleaners while I go to work? You, you have to kind of manipulate the situation because you're not in good terms. But what happens when you are in good terms? What happens when someone owes you, right? You feel no inclination of saying, hey, can you help me out here? You don't throw it in their face. Remember, I helped you move last week, and you said it would be one truckload, and it was three. But I no worries about that. But can you help me whatever? There's this feeling of, hey, you and I are on good terms. I'm going to ask something of you. In fact, the closer you are with someone the easier it is usually to ask of them. And here Jesus is saying, you and God, you're on good terms. What do you need? What do you want God to do for you? Some people feel that they're in an argument with God that they owe him something. Before I ask something or before I, I can even you know, come to church, I gotta get my life right. I gotta get these things squared away. I, I've gotta get these things cleaned up. I, I need to you know, jump through this hoop so that I can appease this idea of what God is and what he wants from me. And Jesus is saying it's not like that. There's another story in Mark chapter 10 starting at verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. I love that they know who the guy is and who, you know, his son. Hey, it was this guy. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him, be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on a way. 
Again, something strikes me in this story. And this is kind of different than the last story where it seemed obvious that the person being lowered was paralyzed and needed to be healed. And Jesus asked and told him, you're forgiven. This guy comes to Jesus blind. You know, it says he springs up, but I imagine a blind person springing up and coming to Jesus, it would be obvious that he was blind. And Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? I would imagine everyone is thinking, um, he's blind. <laughs> How about you start there? But Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And then it says that Jesus told him, your faith has made you well. What, again, is this faith thing that keeps showing up? And how does it keep showing up? It was showing up by a man who is blind, crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Be quiet. I won't. You see, his faith produced something in him that resulted in him shouting. Faith in the other men resulted in them tearing up a roof. Faith results in the change of life. Faith results in a desperation to connect to the person you're having faith in. It is moving them in this direction. And it is something that they are compelled to do. And I wonder if sometimes we want God to do things, but we don't have faith. We don't have the determination to move into the presence so that he can work in us and then work through us. I wonder if sometimes we would really rather stay paralyzed and blind because it's a lot easier to deal with things in this way. You see, if I have faith, it is going to move me somewhere. And maybe I just don't want to be moved. Maybe I like the easy chair. Maybe it's the recliner. Maybe there's a whole three series on Netflix that I can get through if I just chill. I've done it, okay? But it's pushing him somewhere. You know, imagine there's a new supermarket. You know, it's Whole Foods or Sprouts or one of those kind of places, right? And you ask some friends, hey, what do you need to get from, you know, Whole Foods? What is the item that I really need to get? What's the good deal there? And your one friend comes up to you and you go, they have this Belgium chocolate to die for. You got to get it and it's on sale right now. It's amazing. Okay, and you ask another friend, and they go, man, the celery is the crispest celery I've ever eaten. It just snaps like chalk. It's amazing. It's juicy. It's great. Another friend says they have this white cheddar popcorn. Oh, gosh, I'm telling you, it is something else. And right now, you can get two bags for the price of one. Another friend says, you know what? The almond milk is really, really good. You really should get it. And now they have two for one. Now, you can go into the store and, and you can buy all of it because it all came with recommendations. But let's, let's get a little backstory. Let's get a little bit more information. What if you have a determination? You know, I want to live healthier. And you go to your friends and you say, okay, what can I do to eat healthier? 
Now you go in there and there's only a couple things you're going to get, right? It's going to be the celery and the almond milk if you're wanting to live healthy. Now, you might every now and then go get the dark chocolate or the white cheddar. I'm not saying those things are bad by any means, okay? But I'm saying if you want to live healthy, it's going to show up in what you buy. When you come out of the store, people are going to see you. When you go up to the check stand, they're going to say, oh, this person's wanting to live healthy because they passed up the white, you know, the cheddar popcorn. And it shows in the things that you're carrying. And just by you carrying the celery and the almond milk, people know this person's thinking in this way. And I wonder, I wonder if people look at our lives and if there's any visible sign of God and faith in God in our lives. I wonder what we're carrying in our lives and walking through. I wonder what people see in me. What is faith pushing me towards? What is it leading me to? I want to have a more productive life, but that means I have to get up earlier. I have to watch less TV. I, I, I want a better relationship with God, but that means I have to step into that. And, and unlike the friends tearing up the place, I'm content to stand back and hope that Jesus sees my needs where I'm at. Oh, Jesus, I need a change of my life. Come on, give it to me. And unlike the man who's crying out all the louder because he is desperate, I'm living a life of whispers where my voice does not carry to God, not because he can't hear me, but because I'm not really speaking. What are we carrying? The question is, what if you really are forgiven? The question is, what if Jesus comes to you and says, what do you want me to do for you? What are you going to answer? What, what, is, it, what is it that's moving you? What are you carrying? Well, I've got this chocolate and I've got this white cheddar popcorn. Uh, Jesus, can you make me not gain weight? Not like that, I can't. What are you carrying? What do you have in your hands? What is important to you? And now, what are you holding in your life? You know, there was a revolution that took place in the early 1900s. In 1886, an automobile was invented in Germany. But then Henry Ford mass-produced it. And within a short period of time, automobiles were everywhere. And it changed how we live. People were now able to travel from one place to another. They were able to move and live in other places more easily. Transportation became no problem to travel great distances. And so you can travel to Carson and back twice if you need to to get legs for a table, right? You can do these kinds of things and it's available to you. It's said that someone asked Henry Ford if he were to listen to what people wanted, they would have told him, I want a faster horse. See, they didn't really want a revolution and a change. What they wanted was to do the same thing just a little bit differently. 
And God isn't wanting to just bring a little change. He's wanting to bring a revolution to our lives. He's wanting to change everything. He's telling you, your sins, they're forgiven. You and God, anytime, right now, he looks on you with favor. He is wanting. Jesus said, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's not your father's good pleasure to give you health. Your father's good pleasure to give you a girlfriend. I don't know if that's a blessing or depends on you, right? It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sometimes I think we are asking for too little, not too much. We are content with smaller things. Oh, I, I want to be healed. Now, not, not that that's a small thing, but healing, that's just a byproduct of what God really wants to do. And that is forgive you. That is to cleanse you. That is to put you in relationship with him. Because even if God heals you, it's temporary. But there's a relationship that is enduring. He's wanting to give you so much. Don't settle for so little. And then there's another passage in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. Jesus says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. This is one of those paradox phrases that Jesus uses where he's talking about John the Baptist and how everyone before him is seen in a lesser light, not because of who they are, but because of what he's proclaiming. And that's Jesus as the Messiah. And he's really trying to illustrate to them that something powerful is happening. And it is taken by force. Now, when we think of force, we think of physical force. We think of brute strength. That is our mentality. But the force that Jesus used to take the kingdom of God was sacrifice. It was love. It was giving of himself. Right? We read in Revelation that Jesus is coming back on a white horse and his robe is dipped in blood. And everyone's thinking, yeah, Jesus is coming. He's going to get vengeance. Whose blood is it? It's his own You see, it's taken by force because sacrifice requires a lot. You see, faith will tear up a roof to get to Jesus. Faith will shout all the more, even when the world and your own conscience is saying, be quiet, be quiet. You'll say, I cannot be quiet. I need this too bad. It is pushing me towards God and I will not be hindered by myself or by anyone I will not stop until I get there. The kingdom of God is taken by force. And if we don't have the force to push into it, it will pass us by the opportunities that are here. The father's pleasure to give us the kingdom is right here available to us. What do we want to do? How do we want to take it? And unless we're willing to tear up a roof and get through the crowd it can pass us by. We are being called into a relationship 
that is available to us right here, right now. You don't have to join. You don't have to do something to earn it. It's here if you want it. The relationship with God is available, but I've got to tell you, it will change you. It might reveal where you're paralyzed and didn't know it. You ever work on something, you know, it's like even as we're working on the spaces and you're like, you're laying floors. I know Brian was saying, man, the next day he got up and his legs were just sore, like all that bending down, standing up. It's like, man, these muscles, I didn't know they used to be here. Not that you aren't a muscular guy, Brian. I I wasn't aware until I was. God is wanting to make us aware. He's wanting to give us the kingdom. What does the kingdom look like? It looks like Jesus. It looks like us acting like Jesus. It looks like us showing love by sacrifice and giving like Jesus. It shows up in the things that we do. James would say, faith without works is dead. Show me your faith by the things that you do and how you live in relationship with other people. That's why we are here. That's why we are taking this space. You know, and in some ways, we've gone backwards, right? We had a bigger space, and now we're in a smaller space. Although it's so cool to see this small space look like a crowded space, right? It's kind of like, hey, we do have people. And I could get, you know, this kind of mentality like, oh, we're, we're moving backwards. It's like, no. We're moving forward. We're doing the things that we need to do so that we can do more. Because what we're about isn't getting big. Who cares if we're big, if we're ineffective? And so here is a calendar. See all those empty spots? Fill them. But if you're going to fill them, you're going to have to tear some roofs off. You're going to have to move it, right? I want to do a dancing class. Well, first of all, you better be able to dance, right? (laughs) And second, you better be able to put those things together. And why do you want to do that? To show off your dancing skills? Or do you want to bring community together and have interaction with people to bring people who are maybe alienated into a place where now they have community and they can hear and understand that God loves them through you and through the things you do? want to do a cooking class you better be able to cook and we don't have the oven so you better be able to do something without with a microwave i don't know (laughs) you see if you want to make something happen if you've got a burden on your heart to do something tear the roof off and make it happen fill this board with spaces with things that you want to do things that you want to do and why you want to do them because I want people to know their sins are forgiven. I want people to know that God already loves them and that God is wanting to restore their lives. He's wanting to help them walk, help them see, help them live. That's why we're here. And this is what we want to do. 
So the question that Jesus asked the blind man, I believe he's asking us, what do you want me to do for you? If God is asking that question, let's really think about it. Because if he is wanting to do more than we could ask or think, I don't want to lose this opportunity. I don't want to live for too little. I want to step into all that God has for me, for us, for our community. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this day is a marker in our lives and in our community where you challenge us to more, where you help us to see that there is a faith that is deeper. And I pray for everyone here who maybe has struggled in the past with their not feeling worthy, not feeling able not feeling loved, feeling that there is distance between them and you. I I pray that they be aware that today, this, this day, this morning, their sins are forgiven. And the invitation to rise and walk is there for them and for all of us. And and I pray, Lord, with that understanding, with that awareness, we could live bolder lives, lives that cry out when everything else in us is telling us, be quiet, be quiet, that we would find the courage and the faith to speak louder still. Lord, may this be a a pivoting moment in our lives, in our community, where we step into more, where the kingdom of heaven becomes more realized in our midst because of our faith in you. As we are just being still, I want you to hear those words of Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? I want you to carry that thought with you after you leave here. I want you to think about how you would respond to that. And I want you to discern your own thoughts. If what you want from Jesus is something just for you and not something that would benefit more than you, understand what the force of Jesus looks like because it is sacrifice. It is love that extends. And don't ask for too little. Ask for enough to give to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. May your faith tear any obstacle down that is keeping you from the more God wants to give you. May he strengthen your legs, open your eyes to see that he is giving you the kingdom. God bless you guys. Have a tremendous week. 
stay as long as you want. We got the place all day. <laughs> Deliver your coffee mugs out here. Remember, we're going to start using the coffee cups. Start using them. Enjoy our space. Enjoy each other. God bless you guys. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.